TV6 News, it's Descubre with Monche. I'm Monche Ricosa. Descubre means to discover, and I'm here to help you discover more about different and diverse topics in the United States. Welcome to Descubre with Monche's 11th episode, The Pandemic's Impact on Different Demographics. Today is Saturday, October 3rd. We've discussed how COVID-19 affects communities of color in a previous episode, specifically why they may be more likely to catch the novel coronavirus. Today, we're looking at the data of whom it is affecting in both Iowa and Illinois. In Iowa, there have been about 92,000 positive cases so far. The cases, though, don't correlate with the population of Iowa. 85% of Iowa is white, but they make up only 71% of the positive tests. On the other hand, 6% of Iowa is Hispanic, and they make up 13% of the positive cases. Similarly, 4% of Iowa is black, and they make up 6% of the positive cases. An analysis from the Associated Press and the Marshall Project found people of color make up just under 40% of the U.S. population, but accounted for approximately 52% of all the excess deaths above normal through July. In the Quad Cities, located along the Iowa and Illinois border, there is not enough data on COVID-19-related deaths to see a statistically significant trend. However, we can see a trend in positive cases throughout the states. In Illinois, there was a 25% difference in positivity rate between those who identified as Hispanic and those who did not, at its highest peak on April 7th from 55% to 30% for non-Hispanic and 19% positivity rate for an unknown ethnicity. The most recent data available from September 23rd showed an 8% positivity rate for Hispanics, 5% unknown, and 3% who were not Hispanic. On the same day, there was a similar racial disparity between races in Illinois, only a 5% difference in positivity rate between other at 6% at the top and Asians at 1% with the lowest positivity rate. We're taking a closer look at how those numbers compare on a smaller scale with Janet Hill, the Chief Operating Officer for the Rock Island County Health Department. At the beginning in Rock Island County, many of our early cases were people who worked at the local meatpacking plant. And a lot of people who work at those meatpacking plants um, are people of color, uh, many, many of whom are Hispanic. Other um, races and ethnicities are uh, just various people from um, who have come here as refugees. So a lot of Congolese, a lot of people from Africa. Um, so I think that that possibly could contribute to it. But as far as giving you a specific number, um, I could just say that a lot of our data is missing. Mm-hmm. And why do you think that is the case? Because like you mentioned, about half of people that are tested don't report their ethnicity. Well, it's just, it's a function of the testing process. So the person who is doing the test um, has to fill out a form. At least at the beginning, they had to fill out a form. And a lot of that data just wasn't filled in. Um, Now the state has changed its testing process and it's now all electronic. And those fields are required to be filled in. Um, So I'm hoping that we're going to get a better data set as we go on. Would you believe? Because I took a test today, actually, and I took it in Iowa, and I don't recall that it was required to mention that. How does it change, um, you know, the results or just, you know, the Department of Public Health's knowledge, knowing what somebody's um, ethnicity, race, or age, sex, whatever it may be, how does that affect your understanding of the virus? 
It absolutely does. It helps um, inform our health equity discussions and knows it helps us understand, you know, who is being disproportionately affected. And, you know, health equity is a very important part of public health. We want to reach um, all members of our community and, you know, and tailor our public health messages and programs to meet all sectors of the community. So once all this data gets settled in, it'll be really interesting to see you know, where we possibly could have improved our messaging um, or what we can do and, and, you know, the next time. Unfortunately, I, I hope we don't have a next time, but we possibly could. Is there something that you maybe wish you would have known when you first started this about demographics and how you need to communicate to different kinds of people? So right away, we were starting to see that there were a lot of cases um, in, um, what in communities that are not English speaking. So we worked with um, World Relief, which is one of our great partners, and we worked with the meatpacking plant where a lot of those folks work um, to get um, signage and public health guidance um, in their native language. So we did French and Swahili, we did Hakka Chen, um, Spanish. Uh, I think we ended up doing seven different languages. Um, and that, that helped. We also have a campaign on buses um, that talk about, uh, you know, social distancing and wearing a mask. So we knew right away that, that people of color were being disproportionately affected. Um, but, you know, there's been a lapse in data. So we just don't know exactly, um, you know, the exact number of people who are affected and what their racial or ethnic backgrounds are. Mm -hmm. I would say that um, most recently we've seen a trend that it's you know, a lot of younger people who are just not listening to the public health guidance um, and are not understanding that they are a part of a community. That if they get it, they might be sick for a, a week or less and you know not be too bad, but they're uh, their parents or their grandparents or their older coworkers uh, may not be able to fight it off as easily. And so we're, we're working very hard to get people to understand that this is a, it's a matter of um, community and you need to, you know, to be kind and considerate of your community members. And that means wearing a mask and social distancing and washing your hands and really just not going out in large gatherings and, uh, taking unnecessary risk. I'd say that's one of the hardest messages we've had to get across because Americans feel like that no one can tell them what to do. And, you know, we're not ordering them. Um, we are asking them. And that, and that is, you know, there's a difference. And then we're just trying to appeal to their sense of community and their sense of grace, actually. Again, looking at the Illinois Department of Public Health's website. In March 14th, there was almost a 70% positivity rate for an Asian population specifically. I mean, that was like their highest peak. It was a 70% positivity rate. Do you have an idea as to why that could have been? I think Pritzker, Governor Pritzker went to like Chinatown to make an announcement around that date saying, you know, it's not the Chinese virus, it's everybody's, but a 67% positivity rate for Asian specifically seems incredibly high. Do you have a guess as to why that could have been? I'm trying to think back that far. I mean, I know that some of the first cases um, in Illinois were 
um, travel-related people who had been to China. Um, and I remember specifically, it was a husband and wife, mm -hmm. uh, the, where the wife had been to China and then came home ill and, um, and her husband got sick. So when you're talking about, I, I mean, I, I'm not shocked by that number because we are talking about a relatively low number of cases at that point. Mm -hmm. So if you have, you know, just a handful of people who are, um, who are Asian, I think that number would spike at that point. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I would be more concerned about the numbers a little bit later into the pandemic than right at the beginning. Sure. No, that's very understandable. Yeah. And when I looked at the data from the Rock Island County, our local counties, and like I mentioned earlier, there's just not very much related to deaths specifically since we haven't had an incredibly high death rate, although it is high and, you know, every death is a loss. It's not enough numbers to really look at the data and see what specifically is happening. But for um, health equity, you mentioned earlier, is that something that you've seen become better over time with different races that, you know, we have a more equal access to health care for people of color, communities of color, and especially Rock Island County, which is one of the more diverse ones in the Quad Cities? Uh, we've known that health equity has been a problem in the Quad Cities. Um, every three years, we do a community health assessment with our partners, the Quad City Health Initiative and the hospital systems and the Scott County Health Department. We know in Rock Island County, which has a higher percentage of people of color, that our health outcomes are worse. Um, we have a higher rate of, of chronic disease and we have a, um, we have a lower uh, median death rate or death age. So we know that we have some health equity issues in Rock Island County. So I'm going to be really eager to see the pandemic data because that will just give us more data to, to go on to, you know, to make messaging and to, you know, have programs to uh, address that. And there are obviously a myriad of reasons as to why there could be, you know, that disparity. But would you mind touching on a few that maybe some people might not know about. In a previous um, interview I did with Daniel Joyner from a hospital, he mentioned, you know, sometimes it's just people might not want to go to a hospital because they're afraid of it or they might have the language barrier. Is that part of something that you see as well or what other reasons could there be? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to what we call the social determinants of health. And so that that is um, where people of color um, show up most frequently in health disparities. So if you are um, don't have enough money to have adequate housing or do not have enough money for adequate food or you have to eat fast food because you can't afford uh, to make a healthy meal or you don't have a place where you can make it, um, that is going to affect your health. I mean, your, your most important basic needs are not being met. So therefore, you're not going to be able to worry about something that you think will just go away on its own. So I think that, you know, to piggyback on what Daniel said, I think that, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with your, your most, most, most basic human needs, um, then health kind of falls down the falls away a little bit. Sure. Is there something that you would want those that might have a symptom or are concerned and have had contact with somebody, is there a message you would want them to remember through, you know, every day, but especially during a pandemic? I would say that if someone feels symptomatic and what is really unfortunate as we head into flu season is COVID and flu 
and sometimes the common cold have a lot of vague symptoms. I mean, they're, they're very similar. Um, COVID and flu are differentiated most of the time by people having a fever, um, but not always. And that's, that's unfortunate. So if, if someone feels, does not feel well, this is not the year to, to just go to work when you're, when you're not feeling well. Um, we, they may not have COVID, they may not have flu, but they have something that's contagious. And when everyone is just trying their, their best to stay well, um, we need people to stay home uh, when they don't feel well themselves. Sure. And with that, I mean, I've heard, I think, like the term twindemic, where the flu and COVID are happening at the same time. How will this year obviously be different with COVID, but how is that going to impact our population and communities of color with the flu and COVID-19 happening at the same time? No, we're, we're very worried about that. A, lo a lot of times people um, in lower income jobs um, don't have sick time. And we understand that if they don't go to work, they don't get paid. Mm -hmm. And But when we have the twin infections of influenza and COVID-19, uh, we absolutely urge them to stay home as, as when they are sick because that is just how we're going to control these viruses. And they are, they are two different viruses that have very similar impacts. And we've been talking about flattening the curve since the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, and flu and uh, COVID will, are using the same resources in the healthcare delivery system. So if we have a huge number of flu cases and we continue to have a huge number of COVID cases, um, that's gonna really put a stress on our hospital systems. The people are using ventilators and ICU beds and specialized staff. And I just think that uh, people need to understand that you know they are part of a community and they really need to um, take care of one another. And that includes um, staying home when they're ill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw on the Illinois Department of Public Health that, you know, in April, late April, about 45% of the positive cases came from those that were 80 years and up. And then this past month, I mean, that was under 10% for those. And it was the largest group was 20 to 29. It was almost 70%. I mean, what? So do you believe that's because, you know, they're going out more than the older population may have gotten the message because, you know, they watch the news more and they go on buses, those sorts of things? I do think that, um, that people are, uh, who are older, you know, have gone through different stages of their life and understand, um, you know, someone who, you know, went through a whole different era um, and understands, you know, that life is precious, maybe willing to take more precautions. Someone who is not necessarily willing to think about the other or how it affects other people um, may not be willing to, you know, to give up their desires for the community good. Sure. I mean, we still, I mean, we as in, I'm in the younger age group of 20 to 29. I think sometimes it's easier to just think of yourself and think, well, I'm not going to be injured in this. I'm not going to present the symptoms. And then that's part of the issue, the asymptomatic versus symptomatic, right? And we're still right. looking at so many more symptoms. Right. I mean, a lot of times people, especially younger people, don't know that they're sick. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would think that I really would hope that someone who is sick would 
isolate. But if they don't know that they're that they have the virus and are able to get other people sick, um, that just goes back to the the precautions that you know we shouldn't be gathering in large spaces. We should always be wearing a mask, and you know and that really is a message that is. You know, we've been saying it on and on and on again since March, and I, I know that people know it, and I believe that most people are taking it to heart, but there's just a group of, of people that, for whatever reason, are continuing to live their life as if there's not a pandemic. Illinois has seen 300,088 cases as of October 3rd, with a 96% recovery rate. Iowa has seen 91,861 cases as of October 3rd, with a positivity rate of 11.3%. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention reports the United States has over 7.3 million positive cases and over 208,000 deaths. This podcast was produced by Montse Ricosa, edited by David Nelson, theme music composed by Gabriel Candiani and Eduardo Moretti Valenzuela. I'm your host, Montserrat Ricosa. Hasta la próxima. Until next time.